0: Hey there, I'm Melanie Reed, and this is The HR Mentor. Last week, the world celebrated International Women's Day. March 8th is designated globally as a day to recognize the achievements of women. Women like Nell Shipman, who was a pioneer in the Canadian filmmaking industry, Rosemary Brown, who was the first Black woman in Canada to hold a seat in a provincial legislature and the second woman to run for federal party leadership in Canada when she ran for the top seat in the New Democratic Party in 1975. Women like Alla murabit who was born in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan and has served on the United Nations, founded the Voice of Libyan Women to promote women in leadership and challenge gender and societal norms, and who has earned many distinctions as a physician and as an advocate for women's rights, Global health and education, just to name a few. She's very remarkable. And women like Raven Lassert, who co founded the Moosehide Campaign with her father, a campaign to stop violence against women and children through dialogue and healing. Raven is a young woman from the Lake Babine First Nation in the province of British Columbia who now serves as the youth representative for the British Columbia Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliations Advisory Council for Indigenous Women. And she's studying political science at the University of Victoria. These are but a few names of incredible women who have made and who are currently making an impact in Canada and around the world. I could record for hours and hours and never run out of names or stories to tell. But while there are many women and accomplishments to celebrate, the global statistics on the gender gap are overwhelming and sadly regressing as a result of the global COVID-19 pandemic. According to UN Women, gender equality in the highest positions of power will take 130 years. That's just shocking. According to the World Economic Forum Global Gender Gap Report, and I quote on average, only 55% of adult women are in the labor market versus 78% of men. While over 40% of the wage gap, which is the ratio of the wage of a woman to that of a man in a similar position, and over 50% of the income gap, the ratio of the total wage and non-wage income of women to that of men, are still to be bridged. Closer to home for me, a recent investigative report by the Globe and Mail, a national Canadian news media, released a report called The Power Gap, which looked at 244 public sector organizations in Canada, pre-pandemic. These are our universities, the provincial and federal governments, crown corporations, and municipal governments. And this report revealed that, and again, I quote, women continue to be outnumbered, outranked, and outearned by men, not just at the very top, but on the way to the top and in the middle of these organizations. One of the most interesting revelations of this public sector report is that there is not so much a glass ceiling, but what the authors call a leaky pipeline. This means that in many public organizations, women start off in the first rungs of leadership roles on par with their male counterparts. But as the pay band climbs, so does the disparity. When the numbers are further dissected, these gaps are significantly worse for Black women, Indigenous women, and women of color. I could go on and on, but you get the picture here. There is a lot of work for us to do. Now, you might not be in a position of power yourself. Chances are you aren't there yet, so this might feel a little bit daunting and overwhelming. I hear you. And that's why I wanted to record this episode today, because there are days when I feel that way as well. So I wanted to talk to you today about what you yourself can do from where you are at with what you have. I wanna share five things that any HR professional, or anyone for that matter, can do on their own and within their own organization. To help shrink this gap, and move us towards more balance and equality in our workplaces. Yes, there is a lot of work to do. So let's get started. Welcome to the HR Mentor Podcast, the podcast for emerging HR practitioners to get practical advice, tools, and strategies to build credibility, confidence, and ultimately a fulfilling HR career. Okay, let's begin this by just acknowledging that this is a big problem and that it's rooted in the history of patriarchal beliefs and systems, which makes it really complex to solve. And from where we sit, we might feel like there's nothing we can do. I have certainly felt that way before, and have, and continue to come across some very cynical people who waste no time in telling me that most efforts at a local level will change nothing, and that organizations don't really care about gender balance, they only care about the optics of caring about gender balance. But I kind of refuse to believe that. And what I also believe is that we can all play a part in minimizing this gap and changing the world and our societies. Now, there is one caveat. Even though I'm focusing on what you and I can do as individuals to help move the needle, this does not mean that it is only on our shoulders to take action. Today, I'm sharing five things you can be empowered to do today but this does not mean that organizations, governments, and other institutions can ignore the systemic problems and changes that are needed. So in addition to the five things I shared today, I also encourage you to get involved in advocacy work, community and organizational groups, and other agencies that seek to affect the larger structural issues that keep us as women gaining equality and power balance and to challenge institutions and structures that perpetuate this gap. So what can you do? Well, I've thought about this a lot over the last few years as I teach and learn more about diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as how bias and stereotypes affect all three of them. And I've realized that if I want to have a positive impact, there are five things that I can do every day or when the opportunity presents itself. And these are all actions that you can take regardless of your role in the organization, and even if you're not working in the HR department or as a manager. But I will say that if you are in an HR role or a management role, it's even more important for lasting change that you be a role model and set an example for others to follow. Being an effective HR professional is so much more than developing and enforcing policy and demonstrating the right behaviors for others through your own actions signals what's expected and what's valued. Okay, let's get into the five things you can do to help minimize the gender gap. Number one, start with yourself. This might seem obvious since I'm talking about what you can do, but this is much deeper than just assigning items to your to-do list. Starting with you is not only the way to have the biggest impact, it's also the most empowering. Reflection is a part of growth, so you will almost always hear me suggest this as a starting point when I'm talking about any form of personal development or being in a position to influence others. Take some time to think about your own perspectives on the gender gap. Do your values provide any clues to this? What was the reaction in your body when you heard me reading the stats that show we still have a long way to go? Was it uncomfortable? Then think about the messages and modeling you were exposed to growing up. Was there equity in your house or did all the household chores fall to the women? This might seem subtle, but these early models can have an incredible influence on our unconscious and conscious views of gender equality. Here are a couple of my reflections so you can see what I mean. For me, I grew up in a house that was more equal than not. My brother and I both had an equal share of household chores and my dad cooked breakfast and lunch. Dinner wasn't really his jam and nobody wanted him to attempt it most of the time but he did the dishes and he worked in the yard and in our garden. He didn't clean toilets, dust, or handle grocery shopping, but I would say that he was an active participant in managing the house and taking my brother and I to sports and appointments. So men sharing in the home and women having a career of their own was pretty comfortable for me. That's what I grew up exposed to. But on the other hand, I did grow up with a particular family member and some of my parents' friends that were racist. And it was never anything I saw anyone challenge or correct. Speaking up against other people's opinions was usually met with more argument and maybe even a little bit of hostility. And it was all very uncomfortable. So, Speaking up was not a strong message I received. And this is something I'm still learning to do. And I'm not saying that that's solely the responsibility of what I was modeled when I was growing up, but it does have an impact. Now, once you do a bit of your own reflecting on how you view this topic and what your early modeling was, think about all the places you can have influence. Start with your home. Then expand outward to your friend groups, your workplace, sports or hobby groups, community or religious organizations that you're part of. Are there any inequities that you've experienced yourself or that you see occurring? For example, women being cut off when speaking, a disproportionate number of men in leadership roles. You may also see women just not speaking up in these spaces become aware of this. I'm not asking you to charge into any of these rooms to start fixing things. That's not the point of this exercise. It's just to help you tune your awareness to what's going on within your own sphere of influence because we can't change or impact something we're not aware of. The last thing I want you to do is consider your own biases towards women and which stereotypes you yourself have relied on in the past. If you want some help with this, you can take the Harvard implicit bias test for gender and career or gender and science, or you can take any of the others. This test is of course not perfect, but again, it can increase your awareness. It's something I encourage my staffing and planning class members to take each year to see where they might have some unconscious biases. Taking a few of these myself was certainly eye-opening and it definitely increased my awareness during recruitment processes. So the first thing to remember is that any change that we want to experience or affect in this world starts with us and within our own sphere of influence. And awareness is critical to this. You may also want to write some of your reflections in a notebook and revisit them from time to time, or as you bring your awareness into the spaces where you interact with other people. The second thing that I believe you can do from wherever you are is educate yourself. The self-reflection is of course a starting point. You are the starting point, and checking in on your own biases and gaps and understanding is part of this process but you can go a lot further than that. Start to educate yourself on the problem, globally, nationally, and in your community and workplace. And recognize that this is not a one and done type of learning experience. It's really part of a lifelong learning and unlearning. This type of education can take many forms and there is absolutely no shortage of free information to help you do this choose a path that seems interesting to you and follow it. I don't want to be prescriptive here because I think there are so many ways to learn about the gender gap and what causes it. You can look at it from the global perspective and explore what has been done in other countries where the gap is smaller. You could explore from the male perspective of being an ally to women in the workplace. You could also look at it from the perspective of your organization, if there are any statistics published, or look at similar organizations in your industry if they publish numbers about the gender disparity. You may be interested and concerned, as we all should be, about the experience of black women, indigenous women, and women of color and how the gap is much bigger when it comes to positions of power in organizations and government decision-making, as well as the wage gap. I will also post a number of resources in the show notes for this episode that can help you get started, including the research I referenced in my introduction. There is really no right or wrong way to approach this, other than expecting other people to do it for you or doing nothing at all. The third thing that I believe you can do from any role in any organization or workplace is to learn about bias and stereotypes and challenge them when you see them being used in decision making and in conversation. This can be a tough one for many of us, myself included, but it's an incredible way to have an impact on this problem because it brings awareness where awareness was clearly lacking. I also want to stress that everyone has biases, though they may be unconscious, meaning we aren't aware that we're using them to form opinions of people or make decisions by relying on them to some extent. And selection is a really good example of this. So, if you can educate yourself about unconscious bias, and I'll post a video that will give you a bit of a primer of what unconscious bias is and how it can show up in the workplace. That in itself is going to help you become more aware of what's happening both within yourself and at the tables you sit at. There's another great resource that I'm just starting to explore myself that I wanted to share with you, and that's from the Lean In organization. They have a facilitator guide that helps you talk about biases and stereotypes in the workplace and how you can challenge them when you see them coming up. An example of this that I've seen played out many, many times in my career is through the recruitment process. Biases against women through recruitment can be both direct and indirect, meaning sometimes the biases are unconscious and sometimes they're very conscious. One example is when a hiring manager is considering two candidates or maybe three candidates and one of them is a female who might be in her 20s, 30s and somehow it comes up that they're recently married the natural reaction from many managers is, oh no, they're going to have children and they're going to take a maternity leave and that's going to disrupt my workplace. Many times I've seen this played out in subtle ways. They find ways to poke holes in the experience or have concerns about commitment or find other ways that they feel like that candidate won't be the best fit for the organization. And this is a form of bias against women because women, as far as I know, are the ones that have the babies. Now, as a recruitment professional or an HR professional, I often had a fair bit of influence over these processes and could try and bring the hiring manager back to what the hiring criteria are. And that's my job. But that's not always possible. And at the end of the day, it's their decision. But this can be a place where a lot of women get stalled out in their careers is because they are unfairly penalized for taking maternity leaves. Some ways that organizations can address this are probably beyond your scope or the scope of this conversation but I certainly know that I've been able to do in the past is just acknowledge that perhaps this is what's happening in this situation, that there's a concern about this individual taking a maternity leave or a parental leave and there being disruption in the workplace. Just highlighting that that could be happening in part of the decision-making can help address it. Now, a more subtle form of this would be Let's say the department is having a meeting and they're discussing having a social celebration. Hopefully, we will once again be back there in our workplaces having social celebrations. But even if it's virtually, one of the subtle things you might see happening is that the women in the department or in the group are the ones being asked to plan it. This is another subtle form of a gender stereotype being played out in the workplace. I've seen it lots of times happening that birthday celebrations are organized by women in the workplace. Recognition for service awards and anniversaries are organized by women in the workplace. If this is something that somebody wants to take on and really enjoys doing, that's great. But if the default is to always ask the female coworkers, the women, to take on these types of nurturing, caring, non paid forms of work, they're not spending their time furthering their careers or working on key projects. That can be a form of stereotype or bias at play in the workplace. And these are things that we can speak out on. A final one I'll mention that I also see happens in a lot of workplaces is the way we distinguish between men who speak up and speak out versus women. When men speak really loudly about a topic or go on a rant, we categorize them as passionate and people don't generally cut them off or try and soften them. But when women do it, women are often seen as aggressive or angry, or they have a negative tone of voice. Men are passionate. Women are aggressive when doing the exact same thing. Those are things that we can speak out against, we can become aware of, and we can challenge ourselves on our beliefs and our perceptions of what that action or activity means to us. And if you're a leader in a meeting or an organization, that is something that you can create space for, all the different types of voices that need to be heard. All right, the fourth thing that I believe you can do is amplify women's voices in your organization or any spaces where you interact, and especially to amplify the voices of black women, indigenous women, and women of color. If we truly want to create some equality in our world and in our workplaces, then we need to give ample and equal time, energy, and focus to the views, perspectives, and accomplishments of women. And I would say that we have to amplify them even more than men's voices at this point in time, because there is such a tremendous imbalance. And everyone can do this from wherever they are in the organization. If you are in a meeting and you see that your female colleagues are not speaking up, ask them their thoughts on a topic or their opinion about whatever the topic of conversation is. If you're running a meeting, make sure that you give space for everyone to be heard. One of the things I was listening to the other day about diversity, equity, and inclusion in workplaces is that we don't really leave a lot of time to just hear stories and hear other people's perspectives. We're so busy making action lists and ticky boxes of things that we need to do. And and we have this sort of bias towards action. But in order for us to affect change and to impact our workplaces, we need to give space for dialogue, for stories, for hearing why this is important to people and what their perspectives are. And if we don't create space for the voices of the people who are not equally represented, then we're going to A, assume what they need, want, and desire, and B, we're never going to make any meaningful change. This goes for recognition as well. Make sure that you are doing your part to recognize the accomplishments of the women in your workplace, and that You're even talking about your own if you're a woman. We're taught so often to minimize ourselves, to be quiet. A lot of us got that message when we were growing up. Don't be too loud. Don't stand out. But you have probably done some amazing things already in your career, and you should be celebrated for that. You should recognize that. So don't be afraid to talk about your own accomplishments, to recognize the accomplishments of the women in your workplace, and to thank them for their contributions. Focus on the work that they do rather than their appearance or the great staff luncheon that they planned. Yes, definitely thank people for doing that, because I think it's wonderful that we have these celebrations. Don't just celebrate them for the way they look and the caring activities that they get involved with. Recognize them for their work and their contributions. This is also something you can do with your social media. Amplify the voices of women, and again, in particular, Black women, Indigenous women, and women of color. Share their stories on your feed. Like their posts. Comment. Do whatever you can from where you're at to help expand those viewpoints and those voices. It costs you nothing, and it can help elevate the work they're doing and their much-needed perspective. The fifth and final thing that I think anyone can do from any level of an organization is to resist the urge to compete with other women, if you are a woman, and to resist the urge to pit two women against each other or multiple women against each other. This is something that has been so heightened for me recently. And it's something that I think we all have to check in with ourselves on, especially as women. Because we are taught in a lot of ways, subtly and not subtly, to compare ourselves to other women, to their success, to their bodies, to their relationships, their families. Oh my goodness, do you ever get a lot of mom shaming going on out there? But this is something that doesn't elevate any of us. And if there are ways that you can see that happening and you can correct it or stop it or, or not do it yourself, you're helping all women move forward, advance, feel good about themselves, expand their careers. And that's going to make our organizations better, our governments better, our communities better. The five things that I think we can all do from wherever we are to help minimize the gender gap are to number one, start with ourselves. Number two, educate ourselves on the problem, the challenges, and how we can go about addressing it. Number three, to learn more about biases and stereotypes and challenge them when we see them coming up. Number four, Amplify the voices of women, especially Black women, Indigenous women, and women of color. And fifth and finally, stop competing with other women and stop pitting women against each other. I know that the gender gap and the power gap are huge problems and challenges that are not going to be solved by one person. But like any change that we want to see in the world, it all does start with us taking those first steps, becoming aware and doing what we can with what we've got from where we're at. And today I encourage you all to do that and I'll be doing the same. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. It was definitely something that's been on my mind and something that I really wanted to share with you. Would love to hear your perspective on this. So feel free to reach out and share, connect with me on social media. I think it's important that we continue to have a dialogue about this. I certainly don't have all the answers. I don't think anyone does, but I'm definitely committed to doing what I can from my own spaces and in my own sphere of influence. If you love listening to The HR Mentor, and I hope you do, I'd also love to hear from you on that head on over to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and leave a review. And be sure to check out the show notes for this episode on my website, www.unicorngroup.ca forward slash episode 25. There you'll find a list of resources to help you get started on this journey and a summary of all of the things that I've talked about today. As always, thank you so much for being here and for listening. Bye for now.